It was, I mean, yeah, there was definitely a moment Gavin said to me, Stacey, just however you feel, if you just want to let out a scream, I was like, yeah, I definitely <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Alright everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined by Barrett Scher from CinemaSins. Hello! Today we have a very special guest. It is Stacy Martin, Woo-hoo! who is... Hello! Who is in a movie called Archive, coming out uh, July 10th, which is, uh, as of this recording, two days away. Mm-hmm. Um uh yeah last week we talked to gavin rothery of uh, uh last week when uh when uh, uh we talked about archive and it was a great conversation and uh we had uh, a lot of fun talking about this movie it's a it's a very unique movie and uh but you know what you have a lot of uh movies on your filmography that we've never been able to talk to you about and uh and we want to know what it's like working with lars von trier uh, I mean, it was my first job as an actor and it was my first movie and I had been a fan of his work as as an audience member for such a long time and then suddenly being next to him, talking to him and then acting in one of his films was just so surreal for me and I absolutely loved it. He's he's definitely one one of the few greats I think that we have today in cinema and his films are so complex but they're also so funny and very ironic and it was just such a joy that it 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 was almost quite hard to then move on to other films with other directors because I felt like I had just worked with the best of the best and now what am I going to do right that that is amazing to to start (laughs) off on that level uh how how did you get uh, the the part of Joe? I mean, you you carry uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg is is the uh, the the older Joe, but yes. you you carry especially that first part uh, so widely. How does a, does a first time feature uh, uh, actor get that role and and, um, and and work with that director? I very simply auditioned for it. It was sort of a very strange process where I was still, I was taking acting classes at an acting studio in London and I was very much just keen to continue doing that without looking for an agent or or hoping for a career in any way. And um, I was going in for a commercial casting at the time because one has to pay the bills. Yeah, And the casting director turned out to be Des Hamilton, who is this wonderful Scottish casting director who does a lot of street casting. And he just kept looking at me and I thought, why is he staring? This is uncomfortable. Why do men have to stare at girls all the time? And I was getting ready to say something. I was like, this is it. I have, I'm, I've, I've enough of this. And um, I got in the room probably looking very pissed off and about to, yeah, I don't know what I was going to say, but God knows. And, um, and he was like, I don't want you to do this casting for this weird face wash or whatever. 
I want you to cast <laughs> For Lars von Trier, and I was like, "Well, now he's just taking that piss. This is yeah. <laughs> like, what is happening? Can I? I just I was like, I just need to leave the situation. It's getting more and more just surreal, and um, I just found it very hard to believe it. But he gave me the sides, and I read it. And from having thankfully going through my training, I sort of I was like, okay, well, I know what I'm doing. It's not a complete newity to me." And um and I just did it and then I went back for a recall, this time taking it very seriously and 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 knowing that it was real. And then I went to Zentropa to meet Lars and do a screen test and thought, well, this is it, you know, I've I've met one of my idols and this process was wonderful. Thank you very much. And I was ready to move on with my life and go back to my acting classes. And then I think it was maybe three or two weeks before I finished, they said you got the part. Oh my God. Like for me, I was like, really? Do they really want to give me the part? <laughs> me? Um, yes, I'll take it. Absolutely. <laughs> and then suddenly I was on set in Germany for about three months. Wow. Oh, wow. I was wondering, is there so much footage in yeah. that uh, that film? I think the director's cut is around five, six hours. Yeah. Like that just must have been an epic shoot and especially for it being your first shoot that must have been almost exhausting right it it was so exhilarating i'd never done anything like that before and i'd never hmm. i'd never had such support and such sort of enthusiasm to be part of something everyone was just so wonderful and lars works with the same people so his costume designer mm. has been with him from the start and the same with his um, his set designer and so it, it's you really have a sense of family so it became this kind of this day-to-day -day life that I had and every day we were creating something we were making this film and it was I think the the I started to really realize how crazy the whole experience was only when it was over oh yeah I guess yeah, yeah. you get swept up in it uh, at the time right yeah and you just I mean and I, I something I still struggle with now is is a project ending and suddenly you know your routine and your schedule is completely gone it just and it's quite it can be quite brutal so it was definitely sort of you learn very quickly that that um you know there's a there's other chapters in your life and you have to really kind of muster the energy, but it, it's definitely, that was definitely a big shock for me. And it's not just Lars von Trier. You have actors that are legends uh, in this movie. I mean, mm -hmm. you, Uma Thurman, you have Connie Nielsen, you have Christian yeah. Slater, you have all these people that you, that you worked with. And I don't, and I don't know if you got to meet Charlotte Gainsbourg or Stellan Skarsgård during this whole thing, mm, but I did. Uh, I, I was, yeah they're wonderful I imagine so um but uh, that had to have been a little bit intimidating how did you sort of work your way through that or were you not intimidated I I remember meeting Charlotte and be definitely being quite nervous I think because I loved her work so much in Antichrist and yeah Melancholia, that I was just thinking that I was that we were playing the same character was just such a strange reality for me and I really wanted to do the best I could do not only for Lars but also for her because I didn't want to sort of 
fail, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. and it was just, I mean, unfortunately, because we were playing the same character, we didn't really get to spend that much time together. But I remember her just, it was just so simple. Sometimes you meet people and, and you can build this whole story and this whole aura and, and you try and say certain things and then you meet them and you're just like, oh, this is a human being and this is <laughs> someone who has the same sensibility as me and I can understand why Lars has put us together for this role and, and, and so you kind of just, you get on with it. But I have to say... I was definitely starstruck when Uma Thurman arrived because <laughs> she's just such a powerhouse. And by that, by the time she came, because I think she she did her scene in about a day, mm-hmm. which is quite intense for someone to arrive on set. And and we had all gotten into a rhythm of shooting, and and we all knew each other really well, which was great. And then suddenly Uma Thurman arrives and I'm just looking at her thinking, this is Uma Thurman. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is Uma Thurman. What is happening to me? Why am I sweating? Is this, is this being starstruck? And um, <laughs> Lars had cut one of this. He said cut for one of the scenes he normally would do. He would sort of let the scene roll out, but for some reason there was a problem. And I went up to him, I was like, Lars, I'm so sorry, I wasn't focusing, I just can't believe you, this is Uma Thurman, and it just got a bit overwhelming, I'm so sorry. I was like, Stacey, your expression was perfect. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. don't know, like, this is absolutely, just, I just didn't know what to do with myself. And, <laughs> and thankfully, it married well with the scene, because I just, I was just a mess that day. <laughs> That's perfect. That was my question because that is by far the funniest, most intense scene yeah. in that movie. And it, it has everything. It has dramatic weight. It, it's consequential. It's yeah. uh it's it's sad. It's but it's also hilarious when yeah. she says, Do you want to go sit on the whore bed? How do you keep it together when you've got Uma Thurman? And then she goes out into the the stairwell and starts screaming hysterically. Oh, my God. So I guess that is perfect that you were apoplectic because otherwise you'd probably be, you know, falling over laughing, right? I probably would be. I mean, there was definitely – there was a moment in that – in one of the takes – um, because basically we would do it in one take. The whole scene would be one take and we would do it a few times. But there would be times where I just I would just have to leave the scene, compose myself and just be like, okay, I don't know what to do. That's okay because it, 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 I am not meant to know what I'm doing. <laughs> but stick with it. Stick with this feeling because I, I, I remember wanting to be in control and wanting to, you know, someone is very distraught in front of you. Your instinct is to want to comfort or mm-hmm. to, to try and, and, and calm the situation down. But she was just getting more and more revved up. And I just, I've just, I just have to, I, I don't have the reins in this scene and this is okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because in that scene, you are, you know, your character is basically not feeling one way or the other about mm-hmm. everything yeah. that's going on in that scene. And, it's really interesting to hear this about Lars von Trier, by the way, because <laughs> because when you see his films, you have this idea of a guy who's who's who must have gone through some things, mm. 
Uh, and, and he must be that way on set too, but people like to go work for him because he makes such great art. But it sounds like to me that he's just like a normal dude. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's definitely troubled in, in, in like, I think he has a lot of anxieties and, and stuff mm. like that, but it, it's, he's definitely by no means a tyrant. Um, right. And he's definitely not manipulative or mean or horrible. And I had such a wonderful experience working with him because he, from the moment that he cast me, he said, you know, do not worry whether or not you're good enough. You know, you've been cast in the movie. Now you have to, you have to do it and you can do it. And, and that sense of trust and that sense of sort of, He's a real kind of, I want to say Gandalf, but it might sound crazy <laughs> to a lot of people, but there is this very strong kind of shepherd thing in him um, that mm-hmm. was just so wonderful. And he's funny and he's definitely the kind of kid that probably sat at the back of the class doing, you know, God <laughs> knows what, but there's something fun about that there's something exhilarating about someone being able to pull their version of of what they want to do in such an you know a strong way it's it's hard to make a film and it's hard to make a film in the way that a director wants and I think it's I mean thankfully he's able to do that I could talk about this film for the entire hour that we have (laughs) well uh, it is it is six hours long yeah uh but um but you know obviously once you're in a movie like that you know it the 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 fun doesn't stop for you at that point because you have been with several directors that are great like Ridley Scott Mm. um uh all the money in the world now I, I know that was a small role but how was that how was that what was that like I loved it I I just I remember this is it's quite a funny one because I remember sending in I did a tape for it and I was doing this tape on my own so I had this very strange setup that actors and very sadly have to sometimes put themselves through of recording myself, but recording the other person's line and making sure that the time was okay for me to say the lines. And I'd spent hours doing this and thought, I just need to send it. And I'm uploading it on my laptop and I send it and then I look at it and I'm thinking something's a bit odd. And I'd sent my tapes, but I had red lipstick all over my teeth. I thought, well, great. Now I've just blown this opportunity. What am I? This is a great. Well done. And um, so when he ended up casting me, I was like, oh, God, does he think I'm completely aloof? Should I make it a character thing and just roll with it? Um, Lean into it. Yeah, you're just like, well, clearly he liked it. So, I, you know, maybe Nancy, the secretary, is kind of a bit ditzy. And <laughs> and who knows? And, um, and I absolutely, I just remember arriving there and it was my first experience of, of a Hollywood movie, of being on a set that was that big. And it was like arriving in Disneyland. I mean, it, I'm used to making Imagine. small independent films, and well, they're like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, we've only got bread and and cucumber to give you." I'm like, "Oh, uh, 
And we're like, smoothies and here's Mark Wahlberg and Michelle Williams. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was a strangely great acting lesson because I had all this time to absorb how these greats were working and how they would do a scene and also to see how Ridley shot scenes. It was, it was so fascinating. Yeah, I loved it. Were you a, were you part of any reshoots on that movie? I was, yes, um, because a lot of my scenes um, were part of Mr. Getty's um, setting. I had to go mm-hmm. back, and it was what's so. It's almost like having a flashback and then being <laughs> yeah. in the flashback because we did exactly the same scenes in the same location, the same costume, the same people involved the same position, the camera was, I mean, it was quite impressive. They managed to recreate it um, so closely, but at the same time we had another actor and that's another energy. So there was this strange kind of feeling of like, Oh, I know what I'm doing. Oh, but now I don't because Christopher Plummer has (laughs) this whole other aura and he's so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And this is this is a new I had to really remind myself like just take it as a new scene a new job because whatever interaction I will have with him as an actor will be different to Kevin Spacey because they're different people right um, so you know it's yeah. incredible to hear all the things that have to go through your mind you if you pardon the comparison you're like an NFL quarterback where you have to have so many things going through your head at once, the energy of the scene partner, uh, your lines, obviously, your energy, you know, what the character is supposed to do, what you're supposed to do, your marks, where the camera is. Is, is it just a process mm. that comes with practice or is it is some of it kind of a natural thing to where you, you, you feel all that chaos just kind of calm you down? It's sort of, I, I quite like when things are busy. I've noticed that I have tendencies to freak out and panic. And if there's just a lot going mm. on around me, there's something about that that calms me down and focuses me. Um, but a lot of my work ethic and a lot of the way that I am on set, I have learned by working um, as much as my acting teacher taught me a technique there's only so much you know they can tell you stories of what it's like to be on set they can give you examples they can give you advice but until you're there and until you know you have the craziness of what that implies it's hard to fully know and you have to make it you have to really make it your own process when you're Mm. on set and that's the hardest thing um, there's another movie that I've seen of yours that I, I thought was interesting. It was, uh, Godard Mon Amour. Right, um, yes. and it's, and it's, uh, Michelle, <laughs> Michelle Azanavicius. Uh, yes. uh, who, <laughs> thank, hey! you. thank you nice job. Thank, you very much. thank you i i i only watched his oscar clip five times to get that <laughs> he uh he 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 notably beat out Martin Scorsese, Terrence Malick, and Woody Allen for his best director. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just a crazy thing there. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, it's so it's such a cheeky look at Jean-Luc Godard. Mm. And 
but it was a, it's a story based on, uh, now this is a name that I have not heard. I'm going to try. You, you play Anne Viazemski. Yes, correct. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, uh, it's based on her story about, uh, I guess being with Jean-Luc Godard during this, uh, like, I don't know, four or five year period. Yes. Uh, she's in this, uh, uh, movie La Chinoise and, uh, and, uh, and it's it's kind of an interesting thing. Like, I mean, obviously Louis Garrel. I don't know how how his name is pronounced, but he's Just he's like great. <laughs> he's great in it. I I saw him in Little Women. I saw him in The Dreamers, and uh, he's really mm. good. Um, but uh, you're playing someone who's basically having to deal with. Uh, I don't know if it's an emotional abuse of some sort, where he's just not. It's not really abuse, but it's it's neglect. Uh, you know, uh, how do you, how did you, how did you get into the mindset of this character? Did you get to meet Anne Viazemski? Well, so the great thing about this was that it was based on a book. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think it was based on one book, um, entirely. And then she wrote quite a few about her experiences in cinema. And some of it is also from another book that she wrote. Um, so I had a very immediate reference to go to. And also I had this big bank of cinema to also take from, just from the amount of films that Godard has made. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, because we weren't making a film from the new wave we weren't making a Goddard film we were making a Michel Azanavisus film which is a very specific style it has a very specific genre and a very specific tone um I Michel and I had decided to go away from <clears throat> doing a sort of uh copy image of who Anne was and to kind of balance it out with the amazing work that Louis was doing to represent this figure, we decided to really take reference from all of Goddard's muses. Mm -hmm. And when you look at sort of the great men of, you know, whether it's Picasso or whether it's, you know, Goddard, I mean, they all have these amazing women next to them and it was a, mm-hmm. it was something that I was so curious about and I was thinking what is it you know what is this strange concept of a muse and what is it exactly for the women because it, it, it you know a lot of them were artists in their own right and Anne was a person of her own right but it's it's definitely sort of heartbreaking when you see someone that you'd love who is so self-absorbed that they miss out on not only their friendships, but their relationships. And with Godard, what was even sort of more pushed is that he negated his friendships, his beliefs, his relationship with Anne, and then his cinema. Like he really sort of had a revolution against his himself. Um, mm-hmm. And it was about, for me, that that was just something that really fascinated me. Sort of what makes an artist suddenly negate everything that they've done. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's at times it's hilarious, but at other times yeah. it just 
it just at other times it's just kind of you know oh my god what an asshole this guy is yeah. and even even there's even a scene where he uniron like with great irony but uh unbeknownst to him says would you rather uh i can't remember what it was. he says something to a guy to a, a guy a, another couple in a restaurant where he's like he where he says you know would you like to be with an asshole or whatever and he doesn't even realize he's being an asshole during mm, that whole scene. yeah and uh and uh and i'm like gosh i don't it's got to be it's got to be tough like going through all of that uh you know uh you know just you know you don't get to feel uh any love whatsoever after after this intense period uh, during the filming of that movie and everything and then uh i just thought i just thought it was fascinating and i think you i thought you did a really great job in that movie oh thank you i mean the great the wonderful thing about that film was that it was also such an homage to new wave cinema so michelle yeah. you know who is just such a wonderful um artist like all of his shots were very precise and they were all very thought through and it was kind of incredible to be able to suddenly do a scene where we're looking into camera like they would do yeah. in Pierre Le Fou or the films like that and then to suddenly have Michelle say well this is suddenly gonna go this is gonna be like a an, um gonna go into black and white and then back into color and it's sort of you also have fun with genre which is so rare as an actor that someone will say well this is we're doing this type of film now and now we're yeah. doing this type this is more of a comedy and now this is more of the drama um and i think the film really represents a lot of all of that it really does there's a lot of like just cheeky little references that you yeah. know actor like you know breaking the fourth wall is one thing but they're also I don't, I don't know what you would call it, but they're saying a lot of stuff that's very self-aware. There's a point mm. where Godard is saying, uh, you know, like I could get an actor to, to say that, you know, they're dumb because they're so dumb. And yeah. he's, he, you know, he, the actor is saying this in he's the movie. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I love, I love little touches like that. It's a really entertaining movie. I don't know if it even got over here. We, I, I only just stumbled across it. So. It did. Yeah. Cause I remember coming to New York to do, um, to present it. And it was sometimes I was quite nervous about it because I thought, why well, is the humor going to translate and are people going <laughs> to understand? Cause some of it can be quite dense and, it can be quite heavy with the language. And actually what I found is that Michelle has such a a wonderful talent for comedy that it did translate and people were laughing and it was kind of that sense of, oh, well, you know, cinema does travel and it's it's everyone can understand it, whatever language it's in. Yeah. You sound like you're a real student of film, Stacey. It seems like you're interested in the process and, and the thinking behind it rather than you're, you're just showing up and, you know, punching a clock or something like that. And you, you certainly looking at your career so far, you haven't had, you, you don't make easy movies. You make movies that, uh, that uh, kind of get the brain stimulating and everything. Mm. Uh, is this a, is this an intentional choice? Are you seeking out these projects uh, or, or is it just kind of the, the things that you uh, are more, uh, gravitated to the the more things that come to you? I think it, I used to think it was a very natural evolution in my career. Um, 
And I think having started with Lars, it kind of gave a tone to the type of films that I wanted to do. Mm. Um, but mm. I think really, ultimately, I just, I absolutely love directors and I really thrive from the collaboration with the director. It, it, it's just so inspiring for me. Um, and I think that's sort of where my love of cinema comes from is I love films that have an identity that have a style and I think people can disagree on taste and opinion and I, I I'm very happy to sort of discuss if someone hasn't liked one of my films I'm sort of always quite curious to understand why um, hmm. and to just have a conversation but what I do I just I admire the talent and the passion that a director brings to to make a film this uh this movie archive must have been a, a different experience for you um mm. he 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 tell uh gavin rothery told us that uh most of this was practical effects uh mm -hmm. i guess there was at least one scene in here where there was you know where you had to wear some sort of like green pants or something and they had to yeah. cut your legs out <laughs> and everything like that yeah. uh it's but uh, yeah, how was this? How was the experience here? Because I feel like you're playing about four different characters in this movie. Mm. It was it was definitely a challenge, and I'd prior to even knowing about this project, I in my mind had always thought, well, I I want to do something so different that no one would ever imagine me do, and if I took it to the extreme my I thought well that would be playing a robot and this script <laughs> came along and what fascinated me so much apart from the fact that it sort of was like exactly what I was looking for is that it had such a sense of play and I was really keen to explore that with Gavin because he was talking about the robots in a very human way almost as if they were different people and mm. I was like okay well this could be a bit of a, of a head fuck but how mm -hmm. would I navigate this and what would the process be and then I realized well a lot of it is also based on will work because of the practical effects like the, a lot of the work is also done through costume and I, d I just thought this is an amazing story but it's also an amazing cinematic experience like you can really feel in this story and and in the in the film just how much Gavin absolutely loves technology and science fiction and also how much he loves a drama and how much he's just he loves a love story and you have all of hmm. this mix of styles uh, yeah but it was very different from being um yeah it's just, just i think the first time that i've ever ventured into something completely at the opposite of what i'm used to be doing yeah uh the the character that i think both barrett and i uh, uh had a real emotional connection to was the one that's playing the the teenage robot essentially and uh, it, I, I'm supposing, yeah, I'm supposing, I suppose that was like voice work for you um, on, on this, but uh, it's, there is, there is a lot uh, being uh, emoted and, uh, and, and, a, and there's a lot in this character 
uh, that uh, was really touching. How did you get into the to the mode of the sixteen year old, uh, you know, uh, kid basically? It, that was quite a process, and actually, it happened a lot more in post production. So on set, that um, J two and J one, who are the first earlier robots created by George, um, they were moved by actual people so people were in these robots and they did such a fantastic job at not only being a robot but being emoting like you said and and just by little movements Mm. and whether it be the fingers twitching or the head moving it they become so relatable and the great thing about being a teenager, and, and I think that that's a very easy thing to say, it's tough being a teenager, but is there's such a <laughs> sense of naivety and there's such a sense of innocence, even though every emotion that you feel at that time of your life is so raw. Um, and I think we can all relate to it because there's no there's no filter the emotions are there we're trying to survive with all of these new notions in our lives and for me that character was I mean I I cried Uh, I don't know if I can I'm not going to say anything I don't want to say any spoilers or anything but she was the one yeah and that's what we had to deal with (laughs) it's just like you just find yourself weeping and then I was like why am I I know what I know this film I know this story but it's just so touching. <laughs> that, you know, I think Gavin suddenly, you know, that loss of innocence, he really sort of made it a very real thing that was so touching mm-hmm. and, and heartbreaking. The, the, the one shot that absolutely kills me is both in, in different ways is when uh, you and George are dancing, uh, the J3 and, uh, and he are dancing. And it, mm. it's a nice scene. Like, it, it's very pleasant. Like, you guys, you're finally drawing him out of his shell. And, you know, everybody's having a good time. And then there's a cut to the singular mm. eye of the J2. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. that, that, is, that is heartbreaking, but also kind of funny at the, <laughs> at the time that you're being spied yeah. on by this robot. And then, yeah. of course, you know, the, 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 the sadness that goes onto it. But I think that's just a nice... <laughs> juxtaposition of those two characters which are both you um mm. and and how they interact and, and interplay to the the finale yeah absolutely yeah. i mean it, it's it's such um it's like it builds up like every little moment of this film is like a puzzle and they all connect to one thing and they yeah. all come together at the end but you don't realize it necessarily at the time and then suddenly you're caught up in the motion of the story and you don't realize how much, almost just how much has been affecting you this whole time. Right. You it, was the the makeup uh, effects or anything? Was that uh, was that uh, difficult or was that fun or how was how that how'd that work out? I was so excited. I was just mm-hmm. thrilled, and then the reality kicked in. every day i spent about probably like four to five hours in makeup um yeah okay okay can i ask you about this 
because I hear this all the time. People, he, he spent uh, he or she spent you know five six hours in makeup. Are you seriously like sitting fairly still for all this time? Like, do you have to go into a meditative mm-hmm. trance? Like, how does this? I can't even imagine sitting still for more than thirty yeah. minutes at a time. <laughs> like, how is this possible? I can I can probably I can do about two hours. You know, that's sort of like a mm-hmm. very normal time for me to get ready in the morning. But this was a whole other level. <laughs> and it got to a point where I just had to really enter this weird zone, uh, you know, of, of just not panicking because it can be quite oppressive as well. You have a lot of people around you. And then suddenly after that whole process, you become the character because you're physically changed. There's just not one part of you that is the same from your face, from your body. You can't move the same way. I couldn't talk the same way because it would, it positioned my back very strangely. And so my throat was leaning forwards, which meant my voice felt very different I mean it was it was a very very strange process but and wow. I said I loved doing it it was hard and I was definitely pretty grumpy on set um <laughs> mm-hmm. but I loved like there's a you know I loved it I don't know if I'd do it again but I definitely there was something just I just enjoyed the experience I was like I've said yes to this experience She's like you have to brace it in it was this one, it's just an experience that looking back, I'm quite surprised that I managed because if you put it on paper and you ask someone, oh, this is what you're going to be going through, they'd probably say no. Mm-hmm. And there were definitely <laughs> moments where I was just thinking, why have I done this? This is, <laughs> this is, this is painful. It was this in the third is, hour you know, in the I'm, chair. I Gandhi. Yeah. And then you have to spend, I think it took about an hour and a half to take it all off because it was glued to my oh face. Oh, my God. It was full-on prosthetics that are glued to my face. But every time they took a layer off, I could see differently. I could hear differently. Like I, it would be, it was the strangest experience. And, and I think in a way it really helped for the character of J3 because she has this sense of what is going on. She's coming to grips with who she is, even though she knows who she is. And she's trying to navigate in a world that she can physically manage but everything still feels quite new so I kind of just took everything that I was feeling and thought well she would probably feel the same way because I'm also oh that's fascinating yeah (laughs) did you have the same reaction that she did when she first woke up Because that is one of the uh, certainly the uh, well, I've been uh, awake for a lot longer movie. than that. But <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, yeah, there was definitely a moment. Gavin said to me, "Stacy, just however you feel, if you just want to let out a scream." I was like, "Yeah, I definitely." <laughs> <laughs> yes, sounds, you know, sounds I mean, good. The, the whole team, just yeah. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> well, it's perfect. You, your performance, uh, you know, everybody 
well, I guess it's just really you and George, uh, but, uh, but certainly Toby Jones has a nice, Rona mm-hmm. Mitra has a wonderful yeah. uh, little part in there, uh, especially her final command to you, which I thought was, was hilarious and poignant at the same time. Mm. But your, your performance goes from such subtlety, especially that first interaction chronologically in the movie, to where it's fully fleshed out. I mean, it, it yeah. really is a grown. And as we talked to Gavin about this, this, this movie has one of the most satisfying endings I've seen in forever. And of uh, course we're not going to spoil it, mm-hmm. uh, but, but you have a lot on your shoulders <laughs> during, during that last sequence. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 re- it can I ask you just real quick, like how, how much of this is filmed sequentially to where, you can take it down uh, to a subtle performance and then have that humdinger of an ending where you really have to shine in, in a variety of ways. Like, it, does it have to be sequential or are you used to doing, you know, a piecemeal and just bringing the scene what it needs at that moment? We shot, I think we shot, if I remember correctly, um, we definitely shot the first part of J3. So when she's still on her rig in her sort of gray and black costume. Um, we shot that first. And so we did it by costume, by by phase, let's say, hmm. which was very helpful in terms of just, you know, feeding the character with history and experience. Um, and then the ending was also a whole other challenge because you're suddenly – negating all of the work that you've just done because that reality shifts. Um, But we Mm. did it towards the end of the shoot. And I think unintentionally, but it so happened that that was the, the, it just so happened that we had that location at the end of the day, um, at the end of the shoot, sorry. So it, it was sort of a weird farewell to all of these characters that we had played and, yeah, it was, it was, it's a, it's a weird and surreal moment that you kind of go, oh, this, yeah. this is the end. <laughs> <laughs> Both as a viewer and I'm sure as a, uh, as a, a, a character too, right? Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's very strange. And um, the little girl is actually Gavin's daughter. And I think oh, for yeah. her, it was also just quite weird. She's like, daddy's making a movie, but what <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah when obviously we don't want to spoil too much this is the this is the the dangers of having interviews we don't want to say too much about a movie like this because you want to go in and be surprised by a lot of the things that happen in it and everything mm-hmm. uh but uh I, you know we were talking about your past work and everything and and uh and uh, one of the others that I know both Barrett and I have seen is Vox Lux. Mm. Oh yes, and uh, and that is a very unusual film. The way it is structured, uh, yeah. you get to you get to do the rare thing where you get to play the older sister in the younger in the younger part of it, but you also get to play the older sister in the older part of it too. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, again, you are, you're getting treated so badly in this movie <laughs> going on. <laughs> but it be though, that's the question. I mean, it was, you know, I think, um, Brady Corbet, who's an incredible director and, and who's now a very, very dear friend of mine, 
mm-hmm. wanted to do quite similarly to his um first film childhood of a leader he wanted to look at in terms of the 20th century what are the big events in america that have shaped have shaped the story of the world that we're in today and and so the first part and the second part is 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 very emblematic of of a society that is dealing on one side with terrorism and on the other side with this extremely growing sort of um how can you call it uh, sort of fandom stardom um mm-hmm. sort of i call it the internet ego um sort of yeah. those are quite big things and he put them together and and it's it's such a ride and it's such a cinematic experience as well just for the viewer um because on one side you have Scott Walker doing the score and then you also have Sia writing mm-hmm. pop songs that are sung by Rafi Cassidy and Natalie Portman I mean the whole thing is is absolutely bonkers but in the best of ways where this story becomes more and more epic as it goes along. It's it's such a singular movie. It's mm. it's really really knocked my socks off. Which uh, it, it leads me to this next thing. You and Rafi Cassidy, mm-hmm. how do you guys get American accents down so well? This is something that yes. Barrett yes. I know is very interested in. Uh when Americans do a British accent, it's always the same nonsense. But you guys It sounds awful. Yeah. Uh <laughs> you guys seem to always nail it. And in fact, it gets to the point where we don't even know that you're from Europe. And when okay. when like and until you until you like do an interview and you're like, Oh, oh, where did that come from? You know It's not fair, Stacy. It's not fair for you guys <laughs> to be able to do us better than we do us or we do you. <laughs> I think it's just a deep unease in Britishness that people are just finding it very easy to not be themselves, I think. <laughs> no, I mean, in all seriousness, I think, I mean, Rafi is absolutely incredible. She She's so talented and she, I, she's a really hard worker and and it sort of felt so effortless for her. Um, mm-hmm. She was so, so wonderful because it's also in Voxark such a specific accent. Um, yeah. Whereas for me, it was a little harder because I I've sort of grown up all over the world, and my accent has changed also as I've grown older, and it's it's a lot more English now than it ever used to be. I used to have mm. a, a, a more transatlantic accent and slightly <laughs> closer to the American side. So my I can have I have a tendency to go towards an American accent if I'm in America. But to then make it a geographical accent that was so specific was was a lot more work for me. But I loved it. It was such an amazing history lesson learning a new accent because you 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 know you you do so much research into how someone lives and and what makes them speak certain ways or what certain expressions mean. I mean, I, there's some things I was like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> you have to come back on and talk to us all. The whole thing is about accents. Cause I could, I could talk about that for it's hours. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Stacy Martin, thank you so much for coming on and talking yes. with us. Uh, we appreciate it. Me. Um, uh, archive comes out on July 10th, uh, and, uh, watch it. It's a great movie. Yeah. Um, yes. 
but uh, that'll do it for this interview. It's Chris Atkinson, Barrett Share, and Stacy Martin. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com.